Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. I want to start off this morning and I want to tell a story of Philip. So Philip's story can be found in Acts. And if you haven't read Acts, I would encourage you to do so. Um, It's just a powerful book. But what I'm going to do is Andrew helped me craft, actually, he just did it, crafted a story uh, of Philip that you can find in Acts chapter 6, 7, 8, and 21, okay? And so here's the story. After Pentecost, the disciples of Jesus rapidly multiplied, but there were rumblings of discontent. The believers who spoke the Greek language complained against those who spoke Hebrew. They said that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we 12 should spend our time speaking the message of God about Jesus and praying and not overseeing this food program. So now look amongst yourselves and choose seven men who are well-respected and are full of God's spirit and God's wisdom. We will put them in charge of this business. Then we can spend our time in prayer and telling the message from God about Jesus. This idea pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen and Philip and five other men, most of which who spoke Greek. These seven were presented to the twelve who prayed for them and laid hands on them as they prayed. Jews from Asia falsely accused Stephen of blasphemy so that the religious leaders martyred him and began a campaign of persecution that scattered Jesus' followers. The twelve stayed in Jerusalem, but others went everywhere else telling the people the good news of Jesus. God's Spirit gave certain ones of these believers specific instructions on where to go. Philip went to a city of Samaria and preached Christ. If I could have that map of Philip, that'd be great. Okay, so I realize this might be a little small, but Philip started off here in Jerusalem, and then he went up here to Samaria, okay? The Holy Spirit in Samaria allowed Philip to perform miracles among the people. Unclean spirits were cast out screaming, the paralyzed were healed, and the lame were walking. The people of the city were amazed at what they saw, so they listened carefully to his preaching about Christ, and they were filled with joy in what they had heard. And one day, God sent an angel to Philip, go to the road that leads south from Jerusalem. So Philip's up here, and the Lord leads him to this road down here, okay, through an angel. When Philip got there, he saw an important official from East Africa, He was the treasurer for his people's queen. He had been to Jerusalem to worship, and the Spirit told Philip to get close to this man's chariot. And when he did, he found that the official was reading from one of the prophets who had written about Christ several hundred years ago. And Philip asked him, Do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, No. I need someone to explain this to me. Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Philip got into the chariot and told him about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. As they traveled, the man said, Look, there's some water. May I be baptized right now? And Philip said, You may, 
if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and accept Christ as your Lord. The African paused and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then they stopped the chariot and went to the water and Philip baptized him. The two men never saw each other again. The African went home rejoicing while the Spirit took Philip further into the town of Azotus, which is right down right here, okay? He preached the good news there and in every town along the Mediterranean Sea, moving north until he came to the area of Caesarea. So Philip preached the gospel in all of these areas, and then in Caesarea, he settled down and he raised a family. And what we know about this family is that his four daughters all exercised the gifts of prophecy. As I reflect on the story of Philip, here was a young man who was respected by the church community, and he was identified as being filled with the Spirit. He started serving others in the church. He followed the Spirit's instructions to go to Samaria, and then when the Holy Spirit told him to go to a specific location and to meet a specific person, he followed. Now, we don't hear of this East African man again in the Bible, but I can almost guarantee that when that this East African, when he went home, shared what he had learned with others. And I have no doubt that he, had made, that he made disciples. And then Philip went into another town, still keeping his kingdom perspective of sharing the gospel everywhere he went. He traveled up the Mediterranean Sea, preaching the good news everywhere. And he did these things of the kingdom and made disciples everywhere he went. And then even as he settled in Caesarea, he taught the things of, his, of the kingdom to his family. And we see that later in Acts 21. And when I read through the story of Acts and the other stories in Acts, I cannot help but notice the faithfulness and the perseverance of those people keeping their eyes on kingdom goals, kingdom values, and kingdom perspectives that causes them to have this radical obedience to moving to every word from the Holy Spirit. And that relationship with the Holy Spirit really comes through a trusted relationship with the Father. So let's take a look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And that's really small back there, and I don't have it in my notes. So the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had directed them. Then they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to him, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. What I love about the Great Commission is that I was taught at one point in time that when it says go into all the nations, that to think of it as an as you are going. So as you are going, make disciples. We see Philip doing this in the story. He started off in Jerusalem working in the church and then going to Samaria and then to a specific person. And then on the coast, everywhere he went, making disciples. It's so easy for us to think, well, let me rephrase this. We would never actually say that there's times that we do the Great Commission and there's times that we don't. But I feel like there's oftentimes, many times, that our actions actually say, okay, now I'm going to do the Great Commission, 
and now I'm done doing the Great Commission. Does anybody feel that way sometimes? Do you find that in your actions? Um, and I want to challenge that with the Great Commission is not something that we go and do. The Great Commission is something that we are. It's something that we live. It's a habit that everywhere we're going, we are exercising the Great Commission. As we set our hearts and minds and our eyes, as we give our strength and focus to the kingdom of God, our focus and our measures of success change and becomes the focus and the measures of success of God. When our filters shift to not what is best for me in this situation, but the questions we start asking is, is this of the kingdom of God or not? When we start asking, what does God's love look like in this situation? Or we start asking, what is the kingdom of God? How does the kingdom of God going to show up in this situation? When we start asking those things and filtering our life through those things, those questions, we will find ourselves no longer thinking first of what's our best interest, but actually what is Christ's interest. And one thing I found is that when the kingdom of God comes into my life, there is no room for my kingdom, my preferences. Does that make sense? When the kingdom of God comes into my life, my preferences and my personal kingdom gets terminated. And I can try to keep my my kingdom coming, my stuff, my preferences, but then there's always going to be this battle and internal stress and war where if I let the one go and God's kingdom comes in, there's a lot more peace, okay? Everywhere we go, everywhere we work, everywhere we live, we are all part of this great commission. One of the awesome things about God, he speaks I am so thankful that he actively speaks to us. This isn't something where he speaks only to Steve and not to me. He doesn't speak only to Brad and not to me. He doesn't only speak to Andrew and not to me. God speaks. He is alive. And he wants to be intricately involved in our lives. And I say wants to be because we can say no. And we can close that door. He's knocking on that door saying, I want to be involved. And I say, come Jesus, come be involved because I don't know what's going on, okay? We hear Jesus in a variety of different ways. Andrew hears Jesus slightly different than I hear Jesus, which is different than Steve, which is different than Jesse, okay? But yet, they all follow the common themes of how, of Jesus' character and who he is, of God's character and who he is. The Bible is filled with story after story of God communicating. Our God is not passive, and he actively seeks. Uh, He actively seeks us and speaks to us. He talks to us. He desires relationship. We tend to think of the Great Commission as, okay, the Great Commission involves only those who have sold everything, left their jobs, left their families, and have gone someplace overseas. It's easy to fall into that trap. And sometimes we don't verbalize that, but our actions and thoughts walk along that line. We are all called to make disciples, but the execution of each of that calling looks slightly different. We can't all be mouths. We can't all be hands. We can't all be eyes. 
And every time I think of all of us being eyes, I think of that creature in Revelation. Isn't there somebody with a whole bunch of eyes? You know, so sorry for the rabbit trail there. But I'm like, we can't all be eyes. The body of Christ doesn't exist if we're all one part of the body. We can't all be ears. But we are supposed to be in a community of believers walking in obedience with what God is calling us. I would personally love for Antioch Raleigh to send 50 people overseas in the next 50 years. That's a personal, that's a kingdom, my Holly kingdom goal, okay? But I am actually much more interested in what is God calling you in this moment, in this season, in this day that you need to walk in obedience in. Because if you don't walk in obedience in these things today in this moment, it's gonna be a lot harder to step in to going overseas to walking into obedience in those things. Okay. You saw in the short video that my journey started by doing a missions internship. And every step of my journey, I had to keep my own personal reasoning at bay. And I call it kind of sanctified reasoning. So bear with me here a little bit here, okay? I had to keep my reasoning in check because sometimes my reasoning would come and, went into the, into, and would block my walking in obedience with Jesus. I was supposed to be in Africa for six months, and God said, I want you to stay a little longer. Literally said, are you sure there's not enough missionaries here? Africa's technically reached. And the Lord said, I want you to stay. Do you know what I'm saying? So I stayed, turned into 15 years, Kempton Park, suburb of Joburg, came, became my home. And then later God said, it's time to go. It's time to leave. And he gave specific instructions of saying, it's time to leave, but I want you to leave at the end of your term, which was three years down the line, and I want you to finish well. So we did that, Andrew and I did that, without actually knowing what the next step was, okay? We didn't know if we were going to stay in missions. We didn't know if we were going to live overseas. We didn't know where we were going to work or what we were going to do, but God said, leave, so we said, okay, we will make the plans and I trust you, Lord, because you are a good God and you do not bring me harm that you are going to sort all of this out even though I don't know the answers right now, okay? So when I talk about sanctified reasoning, I call it sanctified reasoning because we can often fall back into, well, this is what we should know. We should have everything lined out and know the outcome before we step out and before we start in these actions. What I have found is that oftentimes my reasoning comes in conflict with following Jesus, okay? God has given us minds and reason and wisdom, and these are excellent things, okay? But all of these things are to be in submission to walking in obedience with him, okay? Have you ever had a situation where logically things don't make sense, or maybe you don't know how it's all going to work itself out, and maybe you're receiving more questions than you have answers for, but you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to act in a way that is contrary to the reasoning in your head. Has anyone had that? Okay. I kind of feel that way about our missions trip to Mozambique, so please be praying for us. Like, I can't answer. There's a lot of questions I can't answer. But I know there's a direct calling for some of our people here to be going over there. So let us be relentless in the pursuit of knowing God and being known by God. And what I mean is that not, not knowing about God, but actually knowing God. When Andrew and I met, we met for two weeks, and then he went to Orlando, Florida, I went back to South Africa. 
Four months later, he flew 10,000 miles for a second date with a ring in his pocket. In those four months, he started to learn things about me. But when we were talk on Skype, and when he came face to face, and we were talking in person in South Africa, he started to actually learn who I was and not the things about me. Does that make sense? So let us relentlessly learn who God is and not just things about God. It's easy to become complacent and to live simply by Christian principles that rather than to incorporate those principles into living by the breathing word of God. When we are kingdom-minded, we hold things loosely and open-handed. Now that is not easy and not natural. So yes, I have a baseball. Kept it away from Jack, okay? <laughs> Softball, sorry. It's not easy to hold things open in our hand. Our hands automatically close. That's the way they're designed to be. And there may be one or two areas in your life that you say, hey, yes, I hold this open-handed. The Lord can take it and do whatever he pleases. And I would almost guarantee that as many areas as you have like this, there are others that you are struggling to actually even loosen the grip on the ball of what God is asking, okay? When we find that there's areas in our life that we're wanting to grab onto, we need to go to Jesus with these things and going to Jesus with these things and saying, I actually want to keep my dream, Jesus. I actually want to keep my house. I want to keep my job. I want to live close to my family. I want to live close to my kids, my grandkids, my parents. Confessing these things to the Lord is not wrong. But what the Lord says is, Open it up. And when we say, Lord, this ball is going to fall off my hand, he's like, it's okay, because I've got it. I just need you to leave it open, and I'll take care of it from here. It's not yours to worry about. That's a throne zone thing. You just worry about your home zone, okay? And I won't go into that tangent. That's for another time. <laughs> we can hold on to these things, but, you know, it's part of relationship with Jesus to cry out to him and to say, Lord, I am actually struggling to lay down my job. I'm actually struggling to lay down my life to go overseas. It's not wrong to feel this way. It only becomes wrong when we start saying, I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to walk in disobedience. Let's call a spade a spade. When we choose not to follow Jesus and the obedience that he's calling things, we're actually choosing to walk in disobedience. We're making the conscious choice. Let's just be aware of that. For Andrew and I, it would have been a lot easier to stay in Africa. Um, and we've had a number of people just say, hey, you know, what are you doing now that you're not in missions? And we, we kind of laugh and we're like, uh, we're more in missions now than we were when we were in Africa. <laughs> um, but walking in obedience with that. We moved here to North Carolina. We made intentional decisions to grow where we are planted. We intentionally decided to work towards putting down our roots, getting connected, and making disciples, even though we expect at any point in time the Lord to say, it's time to move. So let us not get distracted with um, the things yet to come or the things of the past. I keep thinking of carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the moment. Who are the people today that the Lord wants you to speak to? Who are the people today that he wants you to minister to, to share the gospel with, to love on? 
There was a time a couple years ago, some of you have heard this story, I had had a couple days of like a migraine and I was really not wanting to be around people and I felt the Lord just calling and just saying, just get out of the house for a little bit. So I thought, well, I gotta pick up a prescription, let me go to CVS and I go there. And while, and I thought, let me get a, um, a couple of vitamins. And as I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the vitamin aisle and there's a, so many vitamins and I've got a migraine and I'm like, I can't focus. I'm just sitting there, standing there, and this lady comes to the end of the aisle, and I kid you not, she's hunched over in half, okay? And she comes down to the end of the aisle, and she's like, potassium! And I just kind of look at her, and I'm just like, okay, okay. Peace, peace. And then she comes down a little bit closer and stands right in front of me and just yells, potassium! Doesn't ask, can you help me find potassium? It's almost like she's waiting for the potassium to just be like, here I am, come and reach me, I'm right here. And I heard the Lord say, I know you're in incredible pain and you're exhausted and you don't want to talk to somebody, but you can still love in this moment. And so I helped this lady find her potassium. And as I did, she started opening up on everything that was wrong and why she was there and needed these things. And I said, could I pray for you? And she said, no. I said, okay, that's fine. But as she walked out towards the cash register, I still prayed for her, even though I couldn't lay hands on her and pray audibly, but I prayed as she was walking out the door, okay? Taking those moments that the Lord says, what are you doing here and now and where you're going? There was another day, like, I'm kind of this mix between introverted and extroverted. There's times when I love being with people and there's times where like, if I see people, I'm going to shoot someone, okay? I was in kind of one of those moments, and Andrew knew this, and he's like, hey, I need to go to Goodwill, drop something off, and do you want to go? And initially I was like, no, I don't want to go. But then I was like, the Lord is like, yeah, just get out of the house. You can just sit in the car. The Lord does this thing, doesn't tell me the whole thing, but just go, go this far. And so we go, Andrew drops things off, I'm sitting in the car, and I was like, Andrew, I just feel like we need to go for a drive. I'm not anxious, I'm not stressed. Uh, going for a drive would be something in Joburg when I'd get really stressed. I'd be like, let's just go for a drive. Um, and I was like, I just feel very peaceful, but we need to drive around somewhere. And he said, okay, where do we need to go and what do we need to buy? And I said, we don't need to buy anything and we shouldn't go anywhere because we don't need to buy anything. It's the end of the month. And he's like, well, let's go downtown Raleigh. There's a place I want to stop in. It takes 15 minutes to get there. It closes in 20 minutes. I said, okay, just don't kill us on the way there. But as we're turning down Carytown Boulevard, we see this car in front of us. And as we both look at it, Andrew's like, man, those back tires look really flat. And I'm like, I can see the driver's side tire and it is flat. She's gonna get on the, this person's gonna get on the highway and this is gonna end poorly. And so Andrew came alongside and I'm waving her down and just pointing at the tire. She pulls over and we pull over. And I said, hey, you've got a flat tire. I don't think you should get on the highway here. And it was, I'm not just talking a little bit of low air pressure, it was rim on the ground type of thing with two other tires very questionable. And she's like, oh, I don't know what to do, this isn't my car, I don't know. And I said, well, just follow us a block back, there's a car place behind us. We went there and on the way there, Andrew and I, I was like, so what part of East Africa is she from? And so we were guessing and stuff like that. And when we talked to this lady, um, we found out that she was from Somalia and she ended up calling a family member to come and fix the tires because it was going to be cheaper for them to do it than 
for things to be sorted out here, but we had the opportunity to invite her to church, to know a little about, to share the love of Jesus, to try to start to evangelize, and it never got as far as I was not able to share the whole gospel message, and she did not become a professing believer of Jesus. But we have no doubt in our mind that that intersection that we were supposed to have was planting a seed, and that somebody's coming along further, because she lives in Cary somewhere, somebody's coming along further to water that seed. So wherever we're at, seize the day into what you're doing. Don't be so focused on the things yet to come or the things where things have been that you forget the opportunities in today, in this moment. I'm trying to read the clock and I'm not sure where I'm at here. Okay. So I just want to briefly wrap this up and talk just about the seasons because we talked about the seasons or we haven't yet, but... um, When I was on Guam, we had rainy seasons and dry seasons, or rainy seasons and less rainy. In Africa, we lived in Joburg, and the seasons there were different because we were a mile above sea level. So in Africa, the seas, the winters were cold, and we would have no rain. Um, Our pipes would freeze, and we didn't have heat in the houses, but no rain, and yet the summers were beautiful with a rain every day, and it was just awesome. We have seasons in our life And every season is for something different. We have seasons of sending and seasons of going, and oftentimes we have feet in both, one foot in the season of sending and one foot in the season of going. But our seasons always change. Each season has its own purpose. Spring is for planting. Summer and fall are for harvesting and preparing for winter. Winter is for rest and and planning for the spring and the summer to come. And each season has its own unique beauty. And each season has its own unique hardships. And even though we may be in similar seasons or in the same season, that does not mean that we are experiencing those seasons with the same beauties and the same hardships. Every season brings its own nuances. So as you go into different seasons, Paul, or sorry, Philip had different seasons. He had seasons that he was directly serving the church in Jerusalem. He had a season where the Spirit called him up to Samaria, and he was working in that city. He had a season with a very specific, and I, I bet there were some questions of like, Lord, you want me to go where and do what? Down to this road down here? And it wasn't fully revealed to what he was doing there until he saw the East African. There were seasons that he was settled, but everywhere he went, he had that kingdom perspective, and everything in his life was filtered through that. So my challenge today, as we wrap things up this morning, is I just want you to reflect on a few questions and to ask the Lord. And as you are talking to the Lord, I want to challenge you, either come up in prayer, talk to someone in your life group, to talk about what the Lord is stirring in your heart to someone else, because that is encouraging. That helps us as we walk the journey. The few questions I want to ask is, are we living with a kingdom perspective. What are the things in my kingdom that I'm holding on to that the Lord is saying, just let me, trust me, I've got this. What are the ways that you're hearing God? We serve a God who speaks, and if you feel like he's being passive in this moment, talk to somebody and press into him, don't walk away. 
What is God saying to you in the season that you're in? We're all part of the Great Commission. Everywhere we go, we make disciples. Are we sending? Are we going? Are we doing a little bit of both? Are there areas of your life that you've exchanged sanctified reasoning and have held that a little bit higher than walking in obedience to Jesus? Because the walking in obedience should be first and our reasoning should be secondary. Are there areas that we're holding on to that we actually just need to submit and just to lay it all down and to say, Lord, I just want to walk in obedience even though I'm not exactly sure how this is all going to walk out. So I guess I would just like to invite, um, we'll go into our ministry time and just invite our elders or life group leaders if, if you feel like you want to pray with somebody, but I also just challenge you to talk into your life groups as we go into this couple of days of prayer and fasting, to ask the Lord, what is he wanting you to take away from this? What is he wanting you to apply?